Hey Phantomorphs, just a quick pre-show note. Um, I got a new mic recently, and I'm still trying to figure out the levels. This one picks up sound a lot better, uh, so I screwed up a little bit during this week's recording, and the sound's a little blown out. Uh, it's still listenable, it's just some of those peaks, ooh, they get real high, and uh, they, they do sound a little crinkly there. Uh, apologies, I would re-record them, but I'm lazy, and also would not have had time to re-record, edit, and post an episode this week if I had done that, but mostly because I'm lazy, so apologies, um, I'll try to do better. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Got the age, crushing the world through a lion's cage. Telling myself I was the victim, young intuition. Always seem to lead that way. Tell me why every time I look in my eyes, all of the things I've always hated in myself come alive. I'm looking up, heading down, feeling like I'll die. All of the things I feel Chapter 6. According to Axe, an hour had passed when it happened. I felt a strange disturbance in the water. Something large had splashed in. I sensed something above me. But before I could think or react, I felt pressure on my shell. I was rising rapidly through the water, being lifted. Jake, something has me! Sudden shock! I was out of the water. Dryness, heat. My antennae waved wildly as I tried to understand. My eyes registered nothing but bright light and huge, indistinct shadows. Something large closed on my right pincer forcibly. I could not open it. Then my left. Rubber bands! I couldn't see them in the waterless environment. I was nearly blind. But I knew what had happened. Someone had picked me up and rubber banded my pincers. Then I was tumbling, sliding, rubbing against things I could tell were other lobsters. Jake, are you in this too? Yeah, but don't ask me what it means. I can't see or hear very well. Is it them? Is it controllers? Something very cold dropped on me and slithered around my body. Ice? I felt the sensation of swinging back and forth for a while, like being on a swing. Axe? Yes, Marco, I am here too. What is happening? You got me, I said. Maybe the cops have us. Maybe the controllers have us. I don't know. Let's just stay and morph as long as we can, Jake said. Maybe we'll figure it out. But if controllers have us, the last thing we want to do is demorph. The ice seemed to make me sleepy. Or not exactly sleepy. Just slow. Sluggish. I guess I kind of zoned out for a while. I don't know for how long, until I became suddenly alert and heard Axe's drowsy voice in my head saying, We have only seven minutes left. That jolted me. I was not about to spend the rest of my life trapped as a lobster. Okay, I am out of this morph. I don't care who sees. I yelled. Agreed, Jake said. Time's up. We have to take our chances. At least it's warmer now, I said. I tried to look around, but my antennae felt nothing in the air and my eyes only saw meaningless, blurry gray forms. I focused on demorphing. I wondered if I could close my human eyes when Jake started to reappear. I really did not want to watch Jake and Axe demorph. Once I'd been enough, I would already have nightmares for a month. 
Here goes, I said. I began the change. But just then, I felt the sensation of pressure on my shell. My pincers came free. Someone, or something, had removed the rubber bands. And suddenly, I felt warmth billowing up around me. Steam. Oh no. No! I screamed silently. I knew where I was. I was in someone's hand, about to be dropped in a pot of boiling water. No! And maybe it was because I was so desperate to scream, or maybe it was just the luck of the morph, but my human mouth was one of the first things to emerge. Small, open lips appeared in place of my lobster mouth. I didn't have normal lungs or vocal cords yet, so I couldn't make a sound. But I guess I didn't have to. I guess suddenly having lips appear on a lobster was enough to make the woman drop me. I fell. My front pincers caught the edge of the pan. Sheer dumb luck. I hung onto the edge of the pan as my tail curled up, inches above the boiling water in the pot. I grew rapidly, becoming a baby-sized creature, half covered with hardy cuticle, half flesh. Human eyes grew in place of the useless eye stalks. The antennae sucked back into my forehead. I heard a grinding sound as my spine reappeared inside of me. With a desperate surge of energy, I tumbled over the side of the pan and landed flat on my shell back, atop the stove. I was looking up into the stove hood. I rolled away from the heat and fell. But the fall wasn't far, because I was now the size of a toddler, more human than lobster. I was one nasty-looking kid, though, with eight legs growing from my stomach and chest. My human hearing returned with shocking effect. Ah! 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 Someone was screaming uncontrollably. My legs were back. I stood up. I looked around and saw a woman. Sort of pretty, except for the fact that her eyes were wide with terror and she was screaming, Ah! 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 I glanced over and saw the plastic bag filled with ice. That's how she had carried us from the supermarket. Now we were in her kitchen. Jake was already mostly human, standing with one foot still in the grocery bag. The eight legs sucked into his chest. His human eyes appeared. Axe was a truly disgusting combination of andalite and lobster. But as I watched, he eliminated the last traces of crustacean. Unfortunately, this did not make the woman feel any better. Ah, 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 ah. It's okay, ma'am, I said. We're not going to hurt you. Calm down, ma'am, Jake said. Please, calm down. Her eyes darted wildly from me to Jake to Axe. She kept screaming, ah, 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 ah. Look, it's okay, I said. We're going to leave. No one is going to hurt you. You, 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 lobsters, she managed to say. Yeah, it is slightly weird, I'll admit, I said. But it's okay. It's just a dream. Uh, a, a dream? Yes, ma'am, just a dream, Jake said reassuringly. I looked at Axe. Can you morph to human yet? We need to get out of here. I can morph again, he assured me and he started right away. We're going to leave now, Jake said. You can wake up later, okay? But I wouldn't tell anyone about the stream. The woman shook her head violently. See, it could get you in trouble with... with certain people. Besides, folks would just think you're crazy. She nodded with extreme conviction. Axe was almost human. We were all dressed in our slightly ridiculous morphing outfits but they would have to do. 
We headed for the door. Then I caught sight of three more lobsters, still in the ice bag. I guess it was supposed to be a dinner for six. Ma'am? I said. Do us a favor, would you please? Take those other guys down to the beach and let them go, okay? Chapter 7 Jake and I were playing video games at the mall. I was kicking his butt. He was distracted because he was eating. He was eating a big red bug with huge pincers. I told him not to eat it. It would upset his stomach. But he just ignored me. Then, suddenly, his stomach exploded. It just exploded outward, guts flying everywhere. Eight huge spider legs appeared, like something in him was trying to crawl out. I tried to get away, but the steam was rising. I was burning up. I tried to run, but my legs were gone, replaced by a tail that jerked and kicked. I screamed, and screamed. Marco, Marco, wake up! My eyes opened very suddenly. Darkness. Someone holding on to me. I was confused. Mom? I asked. Silence. Then, no. My brain snapped back into reality. I was in my room, in my own bed. My dad was sitting on the side of the bed. He looked concerned and sad. It's just me, he said. He let go of my shoulders. I felt sweaty all over. Cold sweat. I guess you had a nightmare, my father said. Yeah, I said shakily. Sorry I woke you up. I wasn't asleep, he said. I glanced at my clock. The red numbers showed 3.18 a.m. I didn't have to ask why my dad was awake. He often sat awake late into the night, sometimes watching TV, sometimes just staring into space. He had been that way since my mom died. My dad looks very different from me. For one thing, he's pretty tall. He's paler than me, too, and has light brown eyes. My mom was Hispanic. Very dark hair and eyes. Everyone says I look like her. I know it's true, because sometimes when he's thinking about her, my dad will just gaze over and stare at me like I'm not even there. Like I'm a picture of someone else. I'm okay now, I said. You should try to get some sleep. He nodded. Yeah, I'll do that. Look, Marco, you weren't dreaming about her, were you? No, Dad. Why? Because the first thing you said when you woke up was mom. I guess I was confused. Do you ever dream about her, I mean? Sometimes, I admitted. But they aren't nightmares. He almost smiled. No, I guess they wouldn't be, would they? He picked up the little framed picture of my mom that I keep on my nightstand. Then he got that twisted look of sick grief. I had seen on his face every day for the last two years. Part of me is mad when I see him that way. Part of me just wants to say, Dad, get it together. Let her go. She's dead. She doesn't want us spending the rest of our lives mourning. But I never say that. After a few minutes, he got up. He made some last remark about how I shouldn't be worried about boogeymen, and then left. I knew he would sit out in the living room alone and eventually fall asleep in his chair. I lay there in the dark and tried to get the dream out of my head. But it's hard to forget a nightmare that's true. There, it is finished. Axe held up a small mess of electronic components for all of us to see. It looked sort of like an exploded remote control, but smaller. It was the next day, 
We were out in the woods, grouped together beneath a huge old oak tree. It was like a strange sort of picnic. Jake and Cassie had each brought hand tools for axe to use. Screwdrivers, a solder gun, a battery-powered drill, a hammer, wrenches, pliers, and, of course, we had the electronic parts we had stashed in the trash before the lobster incident. Rachel had brought sandwiches. I'd brought a six-pack of Pepsi. It was a nice day, sunny and warm. I needed a nice day. I needed sunlight. I'd had a bad night with too little sleep. So, Axe, I said, what is it? It is a distress beacon that can broadcast on Yurk frequencies, he said with satisfaction. I know this is a Yurk frequency. We have used it to trick them before, to send false instructions. All it needs is a Z-space transponder, Jake said wearily, rolling his eyes at me. I think Jake may have been a bit ragged out by the lobster incident, too. He seemed snappish and kind of unfocused. Not at all Jake-like. And since we can't get a Z-space transponder, it's basically useless, right? Rachel asked. Yes, totally useless without the transponder. Rachel threw up her hands. Then what exactly are we doing? Jake just shrugged. Cassie sidled up next to him and gave him a small little sideways hug. No one was supposed to notice, but right away, Jake's harsh look mellowed out a little. That wasn't doing anything for my bad mood, though. Well, I'm guessing that in about two centuries or so, humans will discover zero space and make transponders, whatever they are. But in the meantime, I'm going to have a sandwich. Tobias came drifting down through the branches and leaves of the tree, almost silent. He landed on a low branch of the oak. No one anywhere near here, he reported. Looks safe, at least as far as you guys are concerned. But there's a golden eagle about a quarter mile south. I think I'll stay out of sight for a while and hope he goes away. Not for the first time, I realized how tough Tobias' life is. He shares all the same dangers as we do, but he also has all the dangers that come from being a red-tailed hawk. Golden eagles sometimes prey on hawks. They're bigger and faster than he is. So what's up? Tobias asked. We have a completely useless distress beacon, Rachel said. We need a transponder that probably won't be invented on this planet for a century or two. How about Chapman? Tobias said. What about Chapman? I asked. Chapman is the assistant principal at our school. He's also one of the most important controllers. I used to hate Chapman. I mean, once I knew that he was a controller and all. But then we learned that he surrendered his freedom to the Yerks as part of a deal to keep his daughter, Melissa, safe. It's hard to hate someone for protecting their kid, even if he or she ended up being a deadly enemy. That's one of the terrible things about fighting the Yerks. The real enemy is just the evil slug in a person's brain. The host is often totally innocent. We know that Chapman communicates with Visser 3, Tobias said. He talks to Visser 3 on the Yurk mothership, or on the blade ship, wherever Visser 3 is. Doesn't that mean Chapman's secret radio thing must have one of those Z-space transponders? Yes, Axe said instantly. If this controller speaks to any Yurk ship, he would have to have a Z-space transponder. The Yurk ships are all cloaked. Cloaking technology requires a Z-space deflection. Jake caught my eye. That's pretty much what I figured. I smiled, despite the fact that I had a bad feeling about the way this conversation was going. How big is a Z-space thingy? 
Cassie asked. Axe held two fingers close together, indicating something the size of a pea. There would be several redundant units in any transmitter. We could take one without it being noticed, at least not right away. Rachel stood. We are not going into Chapman's house again, she said firmly. The last time we did, we almost got Melissa made into a controller. We cannot morph her cat again. Chapman is on guard now. It won't be easy this time. She realized what she'd said and added, Not that it was easy the first time. A historic first, I observed. Rachel saying no to a mission. Rachel's right, Jake said. We do nothing that will endanger Melissa again. So the cat is out. Also, any other plan that means major risks that Chapman will discover us. For a while, no one said anything. Finally, Axe spoke silently in our heads. I cannot ask anyone to take risks for me. You rescued me from the bottom of the ocean. You sheltered me. And my foolishness almost got Prince Jake and Marco killed yesterday. What he said surprised me a little. I guess I'd expected him to argue that we should try and help him. What if... Cassie began. We all looked at her. Yes? Jake asked. What if there was a way to get into Chapman's basement room? The secret room where he keeps the transmitter, without even going through the house, with almost no chance of being caught. I felt my heart sink. As long as it doesn't involve anything with an exoskeleton. I'd meant it as a joke, but Cassie just looked at me solemnly. What? I demanded. A lobster again? How is a lobster? No, she said. Think smaller. Much smaller. Much, much smaller. Chapter 8 Ants. That was Cassie's brilliant idea. Ants. See, ants could get into Chapman's basement, and ants could carry away the small transponder. Ants. This was what my life had come to. We ended up spending a couple of hours debating whether we should be red ants or black ants. I finally left in disgust. I didn't want to be an ant, red, black, or any other color. I saw Jake the next day in school. I had just come out of history class where I had blown a pop quiz. I wasn't in the best mood. I was opening my locker and muttering about the Mexican-American War, and how was anyone supposed to know the difference between that war and the Texas War of Independence? Hi, Jake said. The answer is black. Turns out most of the ants near Chapman's house are black. Tobias checked it out. I looked over Jake's shoulder to make sure no one was close enough to overhear. Jake, I don't want to be a bug. I've been a gorilla, an osprey, a dolphin, a seagull, a trout, and of all things, a lobster. And I'm probably forgetting a few. Gorilla was fun. Dolphin was fun. Osprey was fun. Ant? Not fun. Basically, bugs are a bad idea. Jake shrugged. I was a flea. That was no big thing. He grinned like he'd made the world's funniest joke. Seriously, it was like nothing. I couldn't see anything. I could barely hear anything. Just vibrations. All I knew was that I liked warm bodies, and whenever I got hungry, I just poked a hole in some warm skin. And sucked blood. He looked a little uncomfortable. Well, it was Rachel's blood. Kind of, I mean, okay, it was cat blood, but Rachel was morphing the cat. Jake, do you ever listen to yourself? I try not to think about it, he admitted. But look, we want to try and give Axe a chance to get home. And if he stays here, he's a danger to us. We've got this big and a... 
He looked around to make sure no one could hear and lowered his voice. We have this big andalite running around Cassie's farm. What if someone sees him? Any controller is going to know what he is. And they're going to wonder why he's on Cassie's land. I nodded. Yeah, you're right. But I almost died the other day. I was almost boiled alive. I know you're the big hero type, Jake, but I'm not. I grabbed my book out of my locker, slammed the door, and headed down the hall. Jake kept pace. You know what Sunday is? I asked him suddenly. I hadn't planned to say anything. Sunday? I don't know. What? Two years to the day. Two years since my mom died. And I don't know what to do. I don't know whether I should talk to my dad about it or let it pass. But I know one thing. This would be a really bad week for me to turn up dead. I kept walking. He didn't follow me. Two years. She'd taken the boat out of the marina. She'd sailed it out into a rough sea. No one knew why. She'd never done it before. We'd always gone out together, the three of us. That night, after the high winds had blown past, they found the boat driven up onto the rocks. The hull was shattered. There was no sign of my mother, except for a frayed safety rope. They never found her body. The Coast Guard guy said it was not unusual. The ocean is a big place. So is space, a voice in my head said. Somewhere, very, very far away, a mother and father wondered what had become of their children. For a long time, I'd made up stories about how my mom had survived. Maybe on a desert island or something. But I'm a realistic person, I guess. After a while, I accepted it. And after a while, Axe's parents would accept that he and his brother, Prince Alfangor, would not be returning. That they had been lost forever in space. Lost fighting to protect Earth. To help the human race. To help me. I spotted Cassie up ahead, walking with some of her friends. She smiled vaguely when she saw me. We were supposed to kind of ignore each other in school, so no one ever figured out that Jake and me and Cassie and Rachel were hanging out a lot. As I rushed past her, I muttered, Tell Jake I'll do it. Sometimes I really hate having a conscience. Hey Fanwarfs, it's your host, Daniel. Thanks for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. Um, once again, sorry about the clipping and the sound. I will strive to do better for you all. In other news, I did another episode of a podcast with my buddy Jesse, whom you might have gone to check out Alphabet Flights, the Marvel Encyclopedia show that I guessed it on. He has another one now. It's called Creepy Critters, also on Shout Engine. I'm on episode two. It was fun. I learned about uh, this uh, weird shooty boy. He had long legs. It was it was basically Birdo from Mario, you know, Birdo. Um, Birdo, but a cryptid. So go check that out. And while you're checking things out, you know, check out audiomorphs.podbean.com or audiomorphs on iTunes. And leave a review and a rating. If you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. That's all the news I have this week. So I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.